be an owner that's willing to be wrong or to have somebody tell you this is a better way to do things. I want some people to challenge me and tell me this is a better way to do it. And I want to let them fly and maybe make a mistake along the way. That's Sean Reynolds of Reynolds Brothers Exteriors, who's our guest on this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. He's had his gutter and siding business on a killer growth path over these last 16 months. So I wanted to hear about that and how he's managing it. We cover a bit about managing customer expectations, his workflow for scheduling projects, and the need to have clearly defined roles and ownership of that role in any small business. Here we go with Sean Reynolds. Sean, welcome back to the Contractor Momentum Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Corey. So it's been about a year and a half since you were on here. We recorded this podcast episode in the first one in what would have been November, December 2018. It played as a podcast or aired in probably January, February 2019. So it's been over a year and a half, man. A lot has changed, I'm sure, in your business, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? What do you guys do? Where were you at a year and a half ago? And where are you at now? What do you got going on? So our company does gutters. We do soffit, fascia, siding, and gutter garden. The siding is both your traditional vinyl as well as, you know, Maybach, Hardy Board, all those good things. And we've had a tremendous year and a half since I've spoken to you. And the last four years has been just just as as exciting. We've had year year over year growth of probably 25%. 25 percent 40 and then 60 percent last year so it's it's so 60 percent for 2019 yeah yeah wow. it was i wouldn't say it's unexpected but we set a lofty goal of what we wanted to do and we came very very close to, to hitting what that goal was you know what they say you know what is it you shoot for the stars and you end up going uh, end up on the moon. on the moon yeah so that's we really shot for a number i didn't think we were going to get my middle brother seems to be the guy to put these really ambitious goals I sometimes think they're a little too lofty, but we end up coming pretty darn close a lot of the time. Yeah. But the thing is, you have to put the work behind it. You can have these great big goals, but if you end up ruining your company name in the process or you end up, you know, end up just burning yourself out to the point where you can't do that work next year because you don't have the people in place to support what you're doing, then that goal may not have been worth it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I know quite a few contractors, they get on fast growth paths. I've seen them. And for this reason, I try not to have anybody on my podcast that hasn't been in business at least five years because I know a handful of companies and I'm not going to name them, but I could name them literally at least five of them that just blow up quick. And in three years, they're doing 10, 20. I know one that's doing $50 million or was, keyword there was, doing $50 million a year in revenue. They just blow up so quick, but it's at the expense of customer service. They're just all about sell, sell, sell. And you know, internally, they're a freaking mess. They're in shambles and the customers aren't happy. And that that's just not sustainable. To me, it's more impressive to talk to somebody that's been in business 20 years and is doing $10 million a year in revenue than somebody that's been in business five years and doing $20 million in revenue. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, I remember I worked for a company when I was younger and they grew too quickly and the thing sort of fell apart like a house of cards. And that first company, they really fostered it and grew it, you know, on point but they made too many moves. They overextended themselves. And we've been around going on 11 years now. And right now, it's interesting. We're as busy as we've ever been. We're probably booking out 15 to 17 weeks out, which is far beyond what wow. we've ever done. Coming yeah. out of COVID-19. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because everybody's at home right now. They're not spending money on traveling. They're not spending money on anything, but they're spending money on protecting their castle, right? So we're getting so many calls every day. 
and I could just throw another 20 guys up on ladders to, to get things done, but that would just ruin our reputation. We'd get shoddy work. And then what would happen a year from now? People would say, you know what? Reynolds brothers is not what I thought they were. They were, or I talked to somebody else and you guys didn't give me that experience that we expected we were going to get from you folks. And so I lost a couple of pretty big jobs last month because they wanted it done in two weeks. And I just said, that's just not in the cards for us. Absolutely. And we have a, a pretty rigorous training program in place and our hiring process is really specific. Again, you talked to me five, six years ago, we didn't have the, these things in place, but we've implemented them and it's, we found it's the best way to do things. You know, sometimes we may have to, you know, fudge how we do it on a specific hire or a specific job, but at least if you're going to change the rules on how you do the processes, you know, you're making those changes. And if they don't work out, you can say, okay, it's because I, I shortchanged myself on that specific process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to run a business by processes if you want to grow. So real quick, just to kind of put things into perspective, a year and a half ago, how big of a company were you guys and how large are you at this point now? I would say we were pushing around 12, 14 employees, let's say, approximately that number. It's hard to remember specifically, but I'd say- A year and a half ago? A year and a half ago, you know, yep. 10, 12 employees, a few part-timers on top of that, maybe some interns. And then now we're pushing- in the mid 20s, probably about 25, 26. So yeah, so you guys have literally doubled or a little bit more in size. And I'm yeah. sure you've gotten a lot more efficient or we'll find out about that. Mm -hmm. And I do want to talk about your systems and processes and how those things change. But one thing I want to touch on here is you're telling me you're 15 to 17 weeks booked out at the moment? I would say approximately. We're now, tr we're trying to get some people hired in so we can reduce that time out. Part of what happened was, Myself and my brothers, we saw COVID happening and we see things happening in Italy and we started, we reduced our workforce by half. We said, okay, we have a pretty huge payroll and we didn't want to get caught yeah. not being able to make payroll or having some major challenges. So we cut things back and then pretty quickly we saw that the calls just kept coming and we kept watching going, okay, well, our, our lead time is starting to push out a bit, but we said, okay, you know what, this is going to slow down and how do you prepare for a hundred year pandemic? Like there's... You can't speak to somebody who dealt with this a hundred years ago. Well, this is how I ran my business. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did is we had, we laid off about half of our installers and half of our staff going, okay, let's be prepared so we can make payroll, maybe extend our lead time. So our guys are not sitting idle. We didn't want to lose guys, but very quickly we realized that the calls just kept coming in, kept coming in. Cause we, we keep a list of every phone call, every email, and we can see how this is compared to this time last year. Right. Mm -hmm. And they kept going up from this time last year. So, we started having to start trying to hire people back and maybe you'll, you'll notice this is, but because of the government money in place, we we're having problems hiring people to work these jobs because what we had to offer had to go up pretty substantially from what we were doing before this. Yeah, absolutely. Relatively people, you know, with unemployment in the, I know in Florida, you get 200, almost $300 a month from the state, you get 600 a month from the federal government. So you're making all, you're getting 900 bucks for essentially being unemployed. And that goes until I think the end of July. So all things relative to make it more worthwhile for somebody to actually do something, you've got to be paying at least that, which works out to, I think about 22 bucks an hour here in Florida to do it. And that's, you know, higher than what entry level positions in the trades are. And again, relatively speaking, you can get paid $22 an hour to do nothing, or you might 
go to work for 25 or 26, which one are you going to do? You know, that, that line starts to get very, very blurry there. So, well, gosh, we're going down a, a tangent here. And what I wanted to get at with, you know, with you being so far out, what are you doing to, well, are you doing anything to manage expectations? Are you adjusting prices? Are you cutting advertising? Where are you, where are you at with that? We're doing a little bit of everything. We have cut down our advertising AdWords and some other places on social. We've reduced that because there's no point in paying for work that may not happen until 2021. We're, we're probably booked till about November right yeah. now. The other thing as well is, you know, your jobs, you know, there's obviously a pay scale to what you're charging clients, depending if you're doing a winter job where we're quite slow to a fall job. Beyond that, we've had to increase what we're, we're you know, increase the expectations for our clients when they call in. Before we even send somebody out for an estimate, we're letting know what to expect. Yeah. And beyond that, even letting them know, because a lot of clients figure we're Amazon Prime and we're going to be there within two days, the job's going to be done. And I'm telling people, you might be in your house and getting your, you know, your, some piece from Amazon in that way. This is not how we work. If our job takes an extra half day to get done, to get it done right, we're going to stay there and get this done. So, and I've told clients as well, if you can get somebody who can get out there within two weeks, Go up and read the reviews. Find that, out. That's a red flag. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's something to always point out when we're busy. I'll say that. Hey, you know, look, we're ten to twelve weeks out at the moment. But you know, I just got to warn you: if you find somebody that promises you to do it in, say, shorter time, even four to six weeks, either a they're probably not worth their salt, and you might find that they, you know, have some bad reviews and subsequently don't do good business, or b it's probably just a salesperson yanking your chain on a timeline to get your deposit, you know, and customers are very receptive to that. We, like you guys, we've got a great reputation and we do find that people are willing to wait. I had a call this morning with a client who had agreed verbally to a job, but with us, we have to, we have a questionnaire they have to fill out and they have to give us a 30% deposit to move forward. And so between the time he got us all that information, things had moved up almost a month. We had so many big jobs come through from some builders we worked with as well, as well as some pretty big jobs for residential clients. And he was quite frustrated. And I really just took the time with him to explain him why this happened. Like that, you know, we're working remotely here. And so we're not right beside each other. And obviously if jobs come in before you accept it. So, you know, I really tried to, you know, you want to kill them with kindness in terms of making them appreciate their frustration. I get where he's coming from. I'm a homeowner. At the same point in time, you know, we have ministry guidelines we have to follow for, for safety and none of our jobs have been shut down because of these, these issues. So I wanted to just set expectations, but make them understand I, I can appreciate his frustration. And by the end, <laughs> the gentleman owned a bunch of restaurants. He said, I'd love to hire you if this ever didn't work out to work with clients that are a little bit frustrated because I, he felt, he felt heard. And I think that's what it yeah. is. Make people feel heard. Not don't lie, but make them understand that you appreciate where they're coming from. And this is why this is happening. You know, it almost like a pilot on a plane, like tell me why the turbulence are going to happen. Give me a little bit of a forewarning on this. Yeah. I always, I always like to say, update the customer before they update you. You know, if, if something, if your guys are running late, you want to call them and let them know, Hey, our guys are running 30 minutes late before they call you to say, Hey, it's 8am and your guys are not here. It's 8.25am where your yeah. guys going to be at it. It's, I don't know how to put this in quantifiable terms, but it is a lot freaking better to make that call up front and put yourself 
in the driver's seat of that conversation as opposed to being on the receptive end. You made a great analogy there with the pilots. You know, you 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 hear pilots come on the radio and say, "Hey, we got some expected turbulence coming up. We're going to do the best we can to avoid it. We're going to take a little detour." And in the grand scheme of things, that is irrelevant to me as a traveler. But it's just nice to have gotten that update, and that's a very, very personal touch. Same thing with, you know, when you take off, they often give you the weather from where mm-hmm. you're going. I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, like, well, yeah, I'm going to Denver. I know it's going to be cold there, you know, but it's still just a nice little personal touch to let people know that you care and that you're, you know, actively doing things. So that's my golden rule of project management. I, I kind of talked about that a few years back, and I teach all my project managers that update the customer before they update you. I totally agree with that. And even with this one client, because it's very specific to what we're talking about today. He gave us this posit this morning and he was frustrated when he was updated with the timeline. And I said, I could have not updated you till September about this issue. I let you know right now, if you want a refund, I will give you a refund. But a lot of yeah. companies, a lot of other people will just say, they'll, in two months, once they've got the money in hand, once the people have no other choices, they'll tell them that there's an issue. But I let them know right off the get-go. and. And again, he appreciated that. And I, I let him know where we were so that, and he's not tied to anything. There's no charge back for any of the the refund. And he ended up walking away pretty happy and, and felt a confidence in us. Cause I think what our job is a lot of times is to reassure the client, make them feel confident. I'm not going to let you down. Here's the issue. Here's how we're going to deal with it. Just reassure them. That's all they're looking for. Absolutely. Reassure them that they made the right decision in hiring you. Mm-hmm. You got to facilitate the flow. That was a term somebody used to me. I'm like, I like that. I do. Yeah, that's great. Fac- facilitate the flow. All right. So we kind of talked a little bit about there about you know handling your backlog of work. You've in the past 16 months gone from 10 employees to 25, roughly you know, tell me a little bit about the processes you guys kind of had at 10 people and what has changed now that you've nearly doubled your workforce as a small business. And, you know, you guys are still getting things done and earning good reviews and making customers happy. One of the biggest thing is because we're growing the company in terms of employees is the hiring process had to be really specific. So hiring installers and guys that are on the front lines, we didn't really have a great process. There's a little bit of a phone call and then we just sort of threw them out there back when we started our company. But what we ended up doing is we start off with, everybody starts off with a phone call with myself as one of the owners. Then they do an in-person meeting with another one of the owners, one of my brothers and our operations manager, for lack of a better term, our our foreman. And then they do a paid trial day on site. We don't have to pay them, but we we don't want them feeling like we're taking advantage of their time. They get paid. They can tell me all day long how great they are, but I get to see how much are you on your phone? What are you doing? Are you having smoke breaks? Are you walking under ladders? How safe you are? And with me as well, I can tell you how great a company we are. But when you talk to my employees, they're going to be very honest. Do we pay on time? Are we a safe company to work for? You know, is it a great environment to work for? So that to me really stops the issue of getting people where they're, you have to do the whole hiring process and filling out the paperwork and all that to end up yeah. having to let them go right away. It's a paid trial day. We've and even before they, they've gotten there, they've already gone through other two other stratas of dealing with us. Yeah. So so you're kind of refining the hiring process and you're getting them out there for the paid trial day. That's that's what's keeping you guys staffed. Now it sounds like you need more people because you guys are 17 weeks out. So yeah. so but at the moment you guys are kind of held up with the COVID nineteen thing that's 
killing the workforce. It is. So, you know, we've had to up what we're paying people. Sometimes we have to amend that hiring process. I really hate falling out of line on that. And sometimes they, they miss that middle process of meeting our, our operations manager, but we end up maybe bringing them onto a job site based on them having really great recommendations or, or on their uh, resume. You know, sometimes with installers, you don't get as robust of a resume that you might get with somebody who would work in an office per se. I would agree. Um, so we've had to sort of make some amends with that. I'm working with companies like Indeed and Kijiji and things like that and having a lot more postings up. And I find half of my day lately has been HR manager and just talking to different people and managing their expectations for possible in employees, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Now, what about on the project management side of things? Because you've got more employees to handle and more employees to make sure they're getting things done. You've got obviously more customers coming through. How has kind of the project management flow changed? Are you guys using a new CRM or anything? Or what C I don't know what CRM you were using. I'm not not exactly sure where you're going with this, but you know, you've grown, you know, so something has to have changed. So I'd say about a year and a half to two years ago, we were using it was a whiteboard in the office. And we had sheets of paper with the actual jobs up on there. And we realized we had to be a lot more nimble than that. So we yeah. started using a field management system. There's this great company we use called Service Fusion. So everything can be on people's iPhone, on their iPad, on their computers. And so our guys out in the field can see pictures. They can see notes to tech. They can leave notes. They can send a text message when they're on their way to a job. So everything is pretty intuitive. If I have a problem with these guys, I can get on the phone with somebody from Service Fusion within two minutes. They're willing to walk me through the process, do a screen share with me to make sure that if there's a problem with what we're trying to do, that's getting fixed. And some of these guys have gotten to know pretty, pretty well because I, in the beginning, I called them a lot to get this figured out. Now we've, you know, we've learned a lot what we have to do, but we're a much better company for Service Fusion. And, you know, there's other things out there. I think there's House Call Pro and uh, other... Yeah, I was going to ask, were there any other field service management softwares? That's a technical term of them or the official term. Were there any other field service management software providers that you guys had looked at? I think we looked at House Call Pro pretty closely and they're a great company. Absolutely. Yeah. They just weren't right for what we needed. Like the way the estimates were, were sent out. Remember, I'm up here in Canada and we have different taxation and and things have to be presented in a pretty specific manner. It just wasn't the right fit for us. It doesn't mean they're not a great company. It's just, you know, just like the apps you use on your phone, like you, I have a very specific calendar app that I use. I found this company and they're really intuitive for what we need. And when I've had problems where I wanted something changed, they've actually listened to me and changed what they oh, do. Oh, that's good. So they've got, a, they've got an active development team. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, really impressed with them. And I feel like I'm in, like my client that I had an issue with that had an issue with us before with our schedule. When I call them, I really feel like I'm being listened to. And that to me was is great. That's all you want. Like, they may not be able to do what we need. But I feel like I'm being listened to. And they've got my best interest in mind. And they're implementing some of your changes. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I'm glad to hear you're happy with Service Fusion there. You know, you mentioned House Call Pro and these programs always come up. And for the listeners kind of out there, I want to say, hey, it's better to pick one, even if, you know, it's not 100% of what you need, because a lot of people will fret and kind of just kind of have a analysis paralysis, so to say, over trying to find the perfect 
you know, program, it's better just to pick one and, you know, start using one in place, even if it doesn't do everything you want. I mean, I'm sure, Sean, there's probably things Service Fusion does or doesn't do that you'd like it to do. But, oh, yeah, likewise, uh, you know, in the big picture, it does 95% of what you need it to do. You know what I would say as well is you've got a really great group on your Facebook page. Instead of just picking one, go on there and say, hey, my company does gutters and siding. Who out here uses what system? What do you love about it? And then you're going to get about 30 responses and then you can even have a conversation with them and I'm sure they'll get a referral, something back for them for referring you. But at the same point in time, you get to, maybe this company's out in Nebraska and you're in Florida yeah. and they, they're not a competitor of yours, but they can tell you exactly what works for it. And then you could save all the, the time and the issues of dealing with something that maybe isn't a good fit for you. Yeah, yeah. And in, in specific, find somebody that, you know, shares something in your trade because that's ultimately, you know, what, what's going to kind of be the most reflective of what's going to work for you is what's working for other people in, in their trade. And I, you know, I, I try not to get too specific with field service management softwares. When people ask me for recommendation, I have no affiliation with any of them. I will tell you, I use a program called KickServe app at Gulf Coast Aluminum. I like House Call Pro, one of the ones that has came onto my kind of horizon lately that I've really been intrigued by. I've never actually used it, but I know, you know, from reading the features page and talking to some people, it's got some cool features is Service Mate. I didn't know about Service Fusion until you just mentioned that to me. So you know, Service Fusion is one that's out there. And then in the HVAC space is Service Titan. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I have heard of those guys. Yep. Yeah. And they're, they're an awesome software provider, but it is a incredibly expensive, in my opinion, software that most people don't need. It gets a lot of data. And I know a lot of HVAC and plumbing business owners that sign up to it. And, you know, don't quote me on this, but the price I believe is somewhere between two and $300 per user per month. So if you've got 60 people, you know, you're getting up to a bill of 15 grand a month. And I hope I'm not misquoting it, but that's what it was about two years ago when I looked at Service Titan, you know, so, so the bill is extremely expensive there and they do a lot, right? They truly justify it. But what I see is a lot of plumbing and HVAC owners I know that use it, and they are almost like a gambler at a slot machine with it in that they sit at their desk all day and they literally just cl keep clicking refresh on the reports, refresh on the reports, refresh on the reports. Yep. You know, and, well, they do that through a list of maybe 20 reports. I literally have seen them do this, looked over their shoulder, click on the report, refresh, click on a report, refresh it, right? And just see what's happening. And I'm like, you know, you realize that with this program, you're so focused on the data you know, and the data that it's showing you that you are disconnected from what actually makes that data happen. And, you know, I see that and that, that's one of the kind of big pitfalls of getting into data. And I, I often like to say that I'm kind of a recovered data freak. You know, I used to be really into it when I first started GCA. You know, we were a sub $2 million a year operation. I had all kinds of reports, right? Like I had reports for every freaking thing. And I did that. I, I was one of those people refreshing my reports. I had, you know, assistants that were compiling new reports for me. And as I've grown the company to nearly a $10 million a year operation, I use fewer and fewer reports and, you know, just kind of focus on a couple KPIs. But we're jumping down a whole nother wormhole that I could get into lecturing on. So let's not go down that wormhole at the moment. The one thing I would say though, you know, owning a business, I'm sure, you know, sometimes can feel quite isolating. And the fact, you know, when I ended up finding your Facebook page, it was great because there's a lot of other guys out there where you can sort of sometimes vent, sometimes get some information because luckily I've got brothers that I work with, but my last company yeah. I, that I sold, it was just me and every decision fell on me. But if you can, even if you don't join this group, find a, there must be some organization in your, in your town or city because 
there's a reason why when you go to car dealerships, they're all along the same row. You got your, your Honda and your Chevy and all those companies are right beside each other. And sometimes your competitors can be the best people to talk to. You can help each other and make each other a little bit better. The good guys, right? You want to talk to the guys that are, that are worth their salt. Yeah. But you want to be talking to other people because why not learn from somebody else's mistakes rather than wasting your own time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That's a good, a good analogy there. The car dealerships. I never, never really thought, put that together. Like they're all in the same, <laughs> they're all in the same place. Because you're going to look. You're not going to just go to that one dealership. Yeah. You, know, you want a Jeep, but you're going to go take a look at, you know, let's say yeah. the, whatever that vehicle is. You want to go look at a few. So they almost help each other in a lot of ways, right? It's almost like branches on a tree. Yeah. So you got, let's go shift back to kind of the operations in your business there. You know, you got the field service management software in place. You know, what, what does your job flow look like? You know, how, how do you decide which crew gets which project? How do you know, or how do the crews know what they need to do on a daily basis? So we have different people with different roles. So when the phones come in, and again, we're all working remotely right now. So having a very specific role has helped us through this process but we have somebody answering phone calls. They end up getting the estimate out to one of our estimators. And again, some of our estimators are better at specific siding than others. And then with regards to crew, we, we have two people that deal with getting the job page out, figuring out exactly what materials are needed, then getting out to the scheduler. And the scheduler works with our operations manager and he, he's our foreman. And so he will determine the best guys for that role because I think every house is almost like a living, breathing entity in a lot of ways. You always find something on the job that you didn't expect when you pull off the gutters and there's rotted fascia board or there's something happening. And so you want the guys on there that can deal with the more complex jobs that have been around a little bit longer and having a team behind them because we never send guys by themselves. They come in, in, in groups typically of two or four. So, you know, you don't want to have a bunch of centermen when you need a defenseman and with that you don't want guys that are your leads and having four leads where every guy is butting heads for what you're going to do with the situation so yeah quick interruption here to ask you a question while we're on the topic of job roles for your operations staff do you have a scalable business most residential contractors with 5 to 30 employees do not they've simply got a really freaking chaotic job Yes, some of them might make a lot of money, but the whole business relies on them. They can't grow. They can't scale. They couldn't sell their business, at least not for a good price, because the business can't function more than a few hours without them. Is this you? Getting the right job roles for the entire team and performance metrics behind them is key to building a scalable business. And that's just one small part of the scalable method framework. It's a framework I developed in growing my own business to over 60 employees and have worked with private equity investors, business brokers, and now several other contractors to get businesses into a position of scalability. Look for the link somewhere around the podcast player for the framework, or if you can't find it, drop a post in the Contractor Momentum Lounge Facebook group, learn the step-by-step process, get the PDF framework, get clear on what you need to do, and if you're interested, the options I've opened up for working with me personally to implement it in your own business. Now let's jump back into it with Sean. When you need a defenseman and with that, you don't want guys that are your leads and having four leads where every guy is butting heads for what you're going to do with the situation. So making sure people understand their roles. And sometimes that role changes from job to job. We have certain jobs that are going to take us five weeks to do. It's, you know, we're doing the entire siding. Maybach siding can, can be really time intensive. 
And these are some pretty big custom built homes right on the lake, right? So making sure that if a guy maybe was a lead on the last job and he's not the lead on this job, every guy knows what the role is. And if they have to be play support on this job, they can work together because you can be out in the sun and sometimes you guys are, get short. Yeah. In the sun. Guys, yeah. Especially that we have great installers. I'm really proud of them. But even if I was out there in the sun for, you know, five, six hours, eight hours straight, you know, people get can get pretty reactive. Yeah. You know, I kind of, I've had to have this conversation with customers a lot. You know, we're, we're dealing with big ladders, sometimes 20 foot, you know, 20 feet in the air, longer than that ladders. And you're out there on a 95 degree day in Florida, you know, and noon rolls around, sun's at the peak of the sky and your guys, and I've done the work too myself, are out there and you're trying to wrestle ladders around. Suddenly the last thing you care about when you need to put that thing down is if it's going down on the homeowner's plants. Mm -hmm. You know, so we always tell the homeowner, like, look, plan on your plants getting destroyed. My guys take as much care as they can to, you know, not trample your plants and step all over them and set ladders on them, but plan on them getting destroyed because I got to tell you, you know, the guys, they'll care about it until it's a hundred degrees and they've been out in the sun for the last six hours. You know, suddenly at that point, that ladder, which is heavy to begin with, just got a thousand pounds heavier. And that thing, you know, when you need to set it down, it's going to be set down where it needs to be set down. You know, and it's, I wish there was a way around it. I, I wish that we could maybe do it and take care of the plants a little bit better, but inevitably, you know, it's going to happen. And then also, you know, on the front end, when we're selling the projects, we say, hey, look, some of the competitors are going to come out here and they're going to promise you they can do this without damaging the plants. Because a lot of customers will ask us that too. Hey, well, can you do this without damaging my plants? You have to be like, look, don't start off with, don't start off with luck. <laughs> I'm just Listen saying, here. yeah, 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 no, I formatted up. I'm, I'm a little bit different when I'm dealing with my customers and when I'm talking professional to professional, but you know, we'll say, you know, Hey, Ms. Jones, you know, I totally understand you want your plants to be taken care of, but you have to understand this from the perspective of my installers. And, you know, I, I hate to tell you that somebody's lying to you, but they are yanking your chain. I've done this work myself. And I'll tell you that when it's a hundred degree day out here and you've got the flower bed, you know, right here that goes right up to our work area. Yes, we can get the, you know, get the, get the ladder over it and work around it. But when it's a hundred degrees and you're wrangling around this 150 pound ladder as it is, that thing gets really heavy. And if you don't have a good grip on it, if you get tired and weak, that ladder is going to go down where it needs to go down. So keep that in mind, you know, when you're making your decision here and take anybody that says they can do this without damaging your plants with a grain of salt. Little role play there for me. I think people appreciate when you're really transparent and forthcoming. Yeah. You know, it's what I said before. I could have told this guy we would have got this job done in five weeks. I could have told him that. You could have closed it that. Yeah, I got the deposit and moved on. Competitors will say that all day long. And I say, I'm telling you this on day one. Because when I tell you it's going to be on this date, I can guarantee you it's going to be on that date. And anybody who's telling you otherwise, you just have to take it with a grain of salt. And I think once you're honest, even with some of the things that are, are shortcomings, like possibly wrecking plants, possibly being a little bit longer, they will trust everything else you have to say. Because if you're going to be honest about the bad stuff, they'll trust you on the good stuff. That's, that's a very good way of putting it. And that's my approach to it. And I, I recommend everybody takes that approach. Obviously, I know there's Many people don't, but you know, personally, I found it much easier to take that approach. So let's go back to the you know, kind of project management side of things here. You know, you've got everybody communicating in one place and you know, the scheduling, somebody sells it, then it gets handed over to scheduling who communicates, I'm guessing, with what you're calling a foreman at this point. Mm -hmm. 
we have a sheet where the estimator has what the job is. We make sure that everything is in terms of the measurements, in terms of the material. We're double checking that. Then we're starting to order materials. It's going to scheduling. We're figuring out where the schedule is. Then the person in charge of scheduling speaking to our foreman, figuring out the best people for the role, looking at what the schedule is looking like and plotting people in into service fusion where you can actually see what tech we they, they're called technicians in service fusion rather than installers and we're figuring what that is and then you know you can get three days of of rain one of the great things with that program is you can literally just move that day over instead of having to re-input the entire day you can just sort of scroll it and move it across gotcha. and that rain day is now pushed out because there's certain, you know, high wind days, high heat days, high rain days, or in Canada, you know, you've got, you know, blizzard conditions, right? So we can now move that stuff around. And then from there, it's going to the technicians where the foreman is communicating back with scheduling and possibly back with myself or one of the brothers with anything that may arise. So is there an actual process that you guys have for notifying the client? Because this comes up a lot, you know, job runs over, you have to bump somebody back. Who makes that phone call and how do they know that they have to make that phone call? Typically it's a scheduler. We have this great woman who makes those phone calls. You know, sometimes it's for a VIP client, a builder or, or somebody that we worked with on, on regular occasions. Sometimes we have a lot of notes in our system. You know, you sometimes get a client who is very specific and we will put a note in there if, if we think they may be a little bit more challenging to deal with and they'll get a call from the owner. Yeah. Myself usually where I'll, I'll talk them through it and really trying to make them understand why this is happening. And we, again, we, we try not to call the day before. We'll try calling them a week or two weeks out to let them know where things are at. To what you spoke about before, setting expectations for people. You know, if you if you call when you're on your way to the date to tell the girl you're going to be you're you're not showing up today, it's a very different thing than calling them two weeks before to say I need to reschedule, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So it sounds like, or not sounds like, but what I'm hearing there is you've got basically one person in charge of the scheduling. We do, yeah. So. Uh, she has a support system. She's got another woman who helps her work, and she is in part time, three to four days a week. The great thing is with what we do is people own the role, but a lot of people actually know how to stand behind that role. So even with myself, with my emails, with some of the things I do, I've got people behind me that can step into place if I want to take a holiday, if I you know, can't make it in for some reason, I've got two little ones. So I think it's important people own the role, but they have to be cross-trained to other people's roles yeah. as well. Because yeah. people can quit, quit on you on a day's notice. Anything can happen, right? I mean, Kids are working at home right now and people are not working at the full capacity that they normally would be working at. So we've had to really step up what we do. Yeah. We have yeah. to cross train for that reason. Yeah, you do. That. That's a key thing there, cross training. But I really like, you know, what you kind of bring up and that is having somebody that owns each specific role. Like you, you were talking a few minutes ago about how your lead installers on the project are established. I mean, it's very clear within the crew who the lead installer is and that gives them ownership of the job. And essentially you're assigning them the responsibility to get that job done right. Because it, you know, if you can't go back to one person, we all know what happens when you, you know, go back to your crew and say, well, who didn't do this? It's just, you know, the finger pointing game, right? Exactly. Well, John didn't do it because Jim didn't do it. And Jim says that you didn't do it. And it's just, it's a dog and pony show. There needs to be one person, you know, that was on site and clearly had that 
role delegate or not the role, but the responsibility delegated to them, you know, to complete this to the standards. And as the owner or manager of your business, there needs to be documented standards in place for exactly what they need to complete to. Oh yeah. If you don't give the processes and the tools for your employees and they make errors and it's on you, you can't just sort of go willy nilly and expect they're going to figure it out as they go along. I don't care if we have three leads on a job. One person has to be the person who's the official lead Absolutely. on the job. So that at the end of the day, well, who didn't clean up the work site at the end of the day? And, and the thing that we're dealing with right now as well is on certain job sites for builders, we have to submit signed sheets with COVID that they've, they've had special checks in terms of their temperature and all that because they could get shut down by the ministry if, if they don't follow that. So we really, really have to be on point even more than we ever had to be before. So as much as we don't want to deal with this, I think a lot of companies are going to be better for it after the fact because it's forcing them to do things that they may have been a little bit lax on before. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got defined roles and responsibilities right in place. Was there ever a big catastrophe that happened? I mean, how did you realize that you needed to actually define everybody's roles and you needed to have somebody owning every job or every, I don't want to say position, but every task that they handled? You know, at what point in your business career as the owner of Reynolds Brothers, or did you know this? Because I know you've owned other businesses. You know, Did you come into this and start realizing and saying, hey, I need to actually make, make it clear who's responsible for what? You know, at my last company, at the beginning, I wanted to answer every single phone call because I love talking to clients. I wanted to be on the tennis courts with the kids. I wanted to be involved in every aspect of things. And I ended up getting a really great number two in place. He worked for Royal Caribbean. And I think he worked for Disney Cruises at one point. And they've got some great processes. And he helped me bring that in years ago. And with that, there's three brothers. There's one brother who is actually the guy who comes in in the end and makes that decision. You know, that to me is, even within us, there needs to be a lead. We have a good conversation and we never really had to drop the hammer on who makes that decision. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as partners... You guys, well, you guys will, how should I say this? I don't really know what to say other than to say you will start to fight. I mean, if, if you don't have defined roles, I mean, it'll, it'll become, it can get pretty nasty in partnerships. I know while well, most of you guys out there listening could probably relate. Oh yeah. Well, there's one brother who is actually the CEO of the company and there's each of us have other roles and that may change as, as the years go on, but it has yeah. been, it has really worked with what we've done. And you can only be in charge of a certain amount of people before things become diluted. So we had some issues where we were not getting the jobs on time. We were not getting the jobs completed the way they need to be done and mistakes were being made. And luckily these mistakes were made in the early years. And yep. because we didn't grow at a breakneck pace and we grow organically, when those mistakes were made, we called, we fixed it. We, we never dodge calls when we, when we make mistakes. And those clients appreciated that you know, we came out and fixed that issue. And I would say it was organic that those processes came to the place where we said, Hey, this keeps happening and we need to fix this on the flip side of things. I've seen people in my organization who said, well, this happened, let's have a process for this. And I say, that's something you might see every three years. Do we need a process for that? Cause you could become process heavy, right? Yes. Where there's so many processes and people are spending so much time that they're getting lost in the shuffle. I see sometimes people will do a text message or an email chain. I'm like, have you called that client? Did you call that, that supplier? Get on the phone with them. Let's talk person to person here and get this figured out within a minute and a half. 
rather than going through this whole this whole rigmarole. Yeah, I agree. Some people, I mean, I guess some people kind of, I don't want to say they get too into the process, but they look into processes they don't need, like for things that come up once every three years, right? And it, it might not even come up like, you know, come up that often. It might just be something that kind of comes up sporadically and you might create something for it and then it never comes up again. And, you know, whatever comes up in the future, that's a problem is something that you totally, you know, totally can't foresee. And that's why you have to have management in place and people that are qualified to make the final decisions on these little things that fall outside of the processes. Yeah, the other thing to remember as well, sort of cut you off is when you hire great people in your office or, or our installers, make sure you let them fly. Like our, our scheduler has been around for about three or four months now. And she comes from a different company and I let her bring in a bunch of things. I'm not here to micromanage her. We almost hired a guy. We were looking at a guy who worked in management at McDonald's and McDonald's has some amazing processes in place. Yeah. You know, there's a whole franchisee rule book to what they do. I'm sure that it could be a lot, but I want to bring in people from other companies that are better than what I do at, at their job. And I want to let them fly. I don't want to micro, obviously in the beginning, but at a certain point you have to let them yeah, fly. Yeah, once they know how you, you know, how you work. Yeah. Yeah. And owner that's willing to be wrong or to have somebody tell you this is a better way to do things. I want some people to challenge me and tell me this is a better way to do it. And I want to let them fly and maybe make a mistake along the way. Because if I'm the only person, you think Richard Branson could own all these companies? Mark Cuban can own all these companies if he has to touch every touch point and make every decision? You will never, ever grow if that's what you're trying to do. Let these people make mistakes. Let them fly. Absolutely. I like what you said there. And you know, that's something I personally need to work on myself. You know, Even though I've grown a fairly decent-sized company at this point, I think I have my hand in too many places sometimes, and I, I still you know, need to work on stepping back. But you know, hey, it all starts with acknowledging the problem, right? Exactly. Before you can do yeah. it. So you know, just kind of shifting gears here back to the growth because you know we, we kind of start you know talking about your growth and we go off on something else. What has been the biggest challenge you know in the last year and a half, going from ten employees to twenty five? I would say the hiring has been really a challenge to get in A players because it's yeah. easy to bring in C players as installers or just hire because you're trying to fill a hole and to go. We have these big challenges. And we're just going to throw somebody in that, in that role because we want to grow. So to stick to what our, I guess, the integrity of what we built this company as, that's a big thing. To be okay with losing some jobs. M my brother says, you know, what is it? Even a squirrel can't pick up every nut. And you're not going to get every single job, you know? There's going to be some other guys out there that get that job. And it is what it is. I make a point, I call back every single estimate we go out on. Because I know, I think people do estimates at my house. They do it and I never hear from them again. I, and I can't understand how they went out, took the time, like either paid AdWords or whatever to get me, sent somebody out to meet with me, sent me an estimate and just sort of let that happen. They're just throwing so much money down the drain. If you are running paid ads, I mean, you have to be on top of it. You know, I, I hear some business owners that say, look, I don't want to chase business. And, you know, my response to them is, look, if you don't want to chase business, you might as well just stop advertising, right? And just exist solely on word of mouth and referrals. And I don't look down on anybody that does that. And I know there are some very large companies, you know, usually that have been in business 30, 40 years and they operate solely and solely on that. And that's fine. But if you're going to spend money on advertising 
And this all goes back to the market domination method framework I have, which I'm not going to, you know, explain on this podcast because we'd be here for another 35 minutes. But, you know, if you're spending money on paid advertising, you have to have a sales process in place. You have to have a follow-up process in place and you need to have a nurturing process in place so that when these customers and leads and inquiries get into your system, you are constantly contacting them. And by day, I mean daily, literally, you know, I just shared a post in the Facebook group about it. Two emails I got last night within 15 minutes of each other. One was from an estimate that was done about three weeks ago. And the guy had a bunch of feedback on our estimates. It was negative, you know, explaining how our estimate lacked details. He didn't feel like our sales guy cared, blah, blah, blah. And then within 15 minutes, it was within 15 minutes, truly another email from a follow-up email came back and said, Hey, I got an estimate a year ago. I'm ready to go ahead with it. Right now, you know, in both of those cases, we got feedback that we can look to, you know, refine the sales process, you know, see if maybe somebody's not following a process or something that we have in place, but we we've ultimately, we gotten the feedback or we sold the project. We, we made the most of that estimate that came in. And when you're getting these leads coming in, as you describe you know, if you're not following up with them and staying in touch with them. And the reality is a squeaky wheel gets the grease. Some people say, I don't want to annoy the customer. You know, I don't want to call them too persistently. Squeaky wheel does get the grease, regardless of how you slice and dice it. You are leaving money on the table if you're spending money to bring customers in and not follow up with them and nurture them long-term. When I follow up with a call or I have something from the office follow up with a call, here's one thing to remember. About five to 10% of them the email went to their junk folder. It was inputted. Properly. I would say five to 10% is a low, I mean, yeah. a low estimate for that. I'd say that's like 20 to 30. And so they're waiting for this. The other guy's email, your competitor's email went in there and, and they're wondering, well, what happened to this? And firstly, that makes you look bad that you didn't actually follow through. So it's not about chasing. And when I call people, I say, I just wanted to make sure you receive the estimate find out if you had any questions. And some people will be like, oh, we haven't made our decision yet. I'm like, no, 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 this is not a pressure call. I just wanted to make sure, did you get it? We have a line item for each product that we provided, you know, gutters, soffit, fascia, siding, gutter guard. Did you get that? Did that make sense to you? And then suddenly they don't feel like they're being sold. I'm not here to sell you. I'm here to tell you we're really passionate about what we do. Here's what we do. We are may or may not be the right guys for you for this project. And they start having a conversation with me. If they don't feel like they're being sold, don't, don't sell people. That, yeah. Our company does not sell people. It's just have a conversation with people. They might say, hey, I went with this guy. I found him on Craigslist. I can only afford this. No problem. Listen, just make sure they have their, their workers insurance in place. Do a quick check on, you know, the, and the person might say, well, listen, we're a one story. And they're just fish, fixing a downpipe. Go for it. They're the right person for you. Heck, sometimes I've recommended other companies and I say, like, this is what you're trying to do. The budget isn't right for you or you're looking to do this. Again, I've had people come back to me and say, wow, that was really amazing. Like, let's, let's continue the conversation. Just talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. No salesmanship needed. No, you know, Jedi mind trick guru, $10,000 secrets. You know, just, just have that conversation and consistently open that line of communication. So Sean, we've heard a lot about what you've done over the last 16 months. You know, what is Reynolds Brothers Exteriors going to look like in the next 12 months, man? Where do you see things going? What are you working on that's big? You know, tell me what you got up your sleeve. So we, a year and a half ago, weren't working on community builds. We were very much residential clients, some custom home builders, and we were really reticent to do sort of those big communities because we were worried about lacking quality because sometimes they, 
for some bills, they may go up a little bit quicker and they're looking just to get the lowest dollar and the quickest job. Yeah. And so we started to find some builders that want to do that. So we've been growing out the commercial aspect of what we do. And it's kind of amazing how much of that business has been coming our way. And we're trying to really keep up with that because once you've worked with a few builders, you know, word of mouth, you know, just spreads like wildfire. Yeah. So the residential side is growing so quickly. The other thing is our company used to be called Reynolds Brothers Eve Troughs, which is the term for gutters here in Canada. And we became Reynolds Brothers Exteriors. But the siding side of things, looking at Maybach, vinyl, hardy board, you know, these, all these other different products has grown where it's going to be its, its own division. I'd say very, very soon where we're going to move, move on to that. So, and then we're looking at other products. You know, we, we're not a roofing company. I don't think it's in the wheelhouse for what we want to do. But there's a few other products that we have been looking at. I don't want to add anything else to what we're doing until we can be 99% perfect of where we are right now. If we can't do this right and have these processes in place, we might test out a few things and we'll start to see how that plays with our clients, with our installers. But when we do that in earnest, we're going to make sure we do that right. Because again, your, your reputation can change pretty quickly. It only takes a handful of, of people where you're getting bad Google My Business reviews and, and home. You guys do what in the States? It's, uh, we do home stars here. You guys well, we got Home Advisor, I think. Is home what Advisor. Talking. Home stars here is pretty well regarded. You guys have Angie's List. So, you know, your clients have a voice and you, it's not days of the old where, you know, too bad for them if you didn't do a great job, but they have a lot of power and you want to make sure that you really speak to what their needs are. Absolutely. I mean, I like what you said there about making sure you're taking care of everything and all your customers and have the systems and processes in place before you grow. I mean, I, I know a lot of companies just grow, 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 and then try to figure that stuff out later. And I personally, I think that's the wrong way of doing business. If you're wanting to be in business and actually stand the test of time and build an asset and something that, you know, will stand the test of time. So on that note, Sean, thanks for joining us today on the Contractor Momentum podcast. It's always great to talk to you. You know, you just have so much to bring to the table. So thanks so much for having me, Corey. That's a wrap on this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. If you got something helpful or useful out of this podcast episode, do me a favor here. Pick up your phone, open up the podcast app, whichever one you use, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and give us a review. I'd love hearing your feedback. And of course, if you have any questions for my guest or myself, head on over to the Contractor Momentum Lounge Facebook group and drop a new post. <laughs>